Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. This week, how do movie franchises start? We go back to some successful first episodes. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the Force be with you in Star Wars. Camino Skies sends six veteran trampers on the most famous walk there is. You don't know who you're walking with. <laughs> you've got to keep your head down and you've got to keep going. And Crawl is this year's most efficient and wettest thriller. In less than an hour, we'll be underwater. Banging on the pipes. Where's their senses? I can distract them for you. You got this! Hello, I'm Simon Morris. This year we're being invited to sympathise with the film industry because there's been a ripple in the force, a fly in the ointment and a hole in the money bucket. Or to be a little less cryptic, it seems part of the studio's No Surprises production policy has sprung a leak, the never-ending sequels part. You stumbled upon an opportunity. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. The other half of the strategy, keep remaking old hits, has been a bit patchy this year too. Aladdin did okay, while Dumbo was a relative fail, and it remains to be seen whether The Lion King will retrieve classic Disney's mojo. But the talking point in the business is all those relatively underperforming sequels this year. It's not about how much we lost. It's about how much we have left. Where's the Avengers? We gotta finish this. You trust me? I do. The box office is down anything up to 30% on last year, depending on who you talk to. And this is despite the fact that at least two of these sequels are among the biggest film releases ever. The Avengers Endgame, which was the culmination of a dozen Marvel Comics predecessors, and Toy Story 4, which did the same for animation giant Pixar's most popular franchise. If you You've handled this lost toy life better than I could. Open your eyes, Woody. There's plenty of kids out there. Sometimes change can be good. You can't teach this old toy new tricks. You'd be surprised. 
But south of those, it's all a bit ordinary. You realise we're talking entirely about profit and loss here. Actual quality doesn't usually enter this sort of conversation. Among the big flops were the sequel reboot of the old Men in Black franchise, the latest of the impenetrable X-Men prequel-sequel remakes, Dark Phoenix, and the too big by at least three quarters return of Godzilla. The king. That's messed up. This is Godzilla's world. He's just living. Damn right. Even the likeable Lego Movie 2 proved to be a few bricks too far this year, along with a pointless Hellboy reboot. The fact is, while sequels are generally a given after a popular movie, some only need more of the same, others depend on new, fresh stories. And some ideas only have so many stories in them. You have no idea what's coming. Mr. Witt broke the rules. I trust you understand the repercussions if he survives. John Wick, Keanu Reeves' violent revenge fest, was made by stunt fans for stunt fans. And the idiotic plot, Wick's pet dog is killed by Alfie Allen, look out, bad guys, was almost the point. But three films in, there are signs they're taking it a bit seriously. The Fast and Furious Syndrome. There's no escape for you. The high table wants your life. Would you help set the mood for our new guest? Let us begin. Meanwhile, the mighty Marvel Comics universe, culminating in this year's all-conquering endgame, is efficient, even inspired at times, but in the final hour of time-travelling, tying up of loose ends, remembering all those plot points from four or five years before started to feel not just like hard work, but worse, like homework. You could not live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. A follow-up's meant to be a welcome romp with familiar, well-loved characters. No wonder Black Panther and Captain Marvel were more enjoyable, unfettered as they were to any previous storylines. And while later episodes of a series often boast bigger budgets and bigger-name co-stars, they often lack the vital spontaneity that encouraged the franchise in the first place. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. So what was it that inspired and excited audiences? For that, you have to go back in time to the original, and the obvious starting point is the first of the modern franchises, George Lucas's Star Wars. From the opening caption, Chapter 4, A New Hope, it appeared Lucas had invented something, though his contemporaries knew the old-fashioned space opera serial had been around since Flash Gordon. Lucas had just pumped it full of steroids. Harrison Ford... Conversation anyway. Whoa, we're gonna have I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Good luck. Alan Tudyk. Oh, 
Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. But George forgot that the key ingredients of an adventure series are likeable, well-cast characters. Without them, the notorious Star Wars prequels floundered in a sea of redundant backstory. Another gigantic franchise was started by Steven Spielberg's dinosaur family flick, Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. It's, it's a dinosaur. Back in the 1990s, audiences were still capable of childlike wonder over digital effects. Sam Neill's expression when he saw a gigantic brachiosaur for the first time was shared by everyone in the cinema that day. Well, it's a great gimmick bringing dinosaurs to life, but what do you do with it? The later Jurassic reboots stumbled when they tried to improve on simple look at that. Every time we've unveiled a new attraction, attendance has spiked. That was awesome. Corporate felt genetic modification would up the wow factor. They're dinosaurs. Wow enough. Shortly afterwards, the first Men in Black film offered a twist on realistic digital effects by making them deliberately ridiculous. Of course, the idea of rounding up illegal aliens back in 1997 wasn't as borderline tasteless as it is today. I suspect that was the main reason this year's reboot failed. From now on, you will have no identifying marks of any kind. You are no longer part of the system. We are the men in black. You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. But the original benefited from first being a fresh new idea and second having the sweet and sour casting of playful puppy Will Smith and grumpy old Tommy Lee Jones. Frankly, any sequels were going to struggle without their unique chemistry. And casting was the secret weapon of another successful launch. What's going on here? Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. There's been speculation that I'm parading around as a superhero. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. It's Iron Man, the comeback of well-known Hollywood screw-up Robert Downey Jr. playing a billionaire jerk to boot. Who saw that coming? The first Iron Man broke all the other rules too, from a comparatively little-known title character to Tony Stark refusing to come right at the end. He even revealed his secret identity to the world. Welcome home, sir. Put up the scanner, will you? What happened over there? I have my eyes open. I want to protect the people. I put in harm's way. A man with a dozen of these can rule all of Asia. Yeah, I can fly. Well, clearly producer Kevin Feige was playing a long game, which could have been a disaster if the first film hadn't been so much fun and Robert Downey Jr. so intriguing. People wanted to see more because it was clear there was more to see. Well, one of the cheekiest opening movies to a franchise was Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible. It didn't even look as if he planned any sequels at all. We're being ambushed. Abort, that's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming. Do you read me? 
don't care how he did it. I want to know why he did it. Like the TV series, Mission Impossible opens with Jim Phelps and Ethan Hawke leading a stellar team of spies. But then the team members are all killed, and it's revealed Phelps was the villain all along. Wait, what? By rights, any franchise plan should have self-destructed five seconds later, but that reckoned without the tenacity of star producer Tom Cruise. This whole operation was a decoy. I can understand you're very upset. You've never seen me very upset. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Subsequent Missions Impossible have substituted complicated stunts for that sort of imaginative cheek. Needless to say, Brian De Palma's services were no longer required. Well, that's the downside of a long-running franchise, where episode one felt like a wonderful holiday. The follow-ups start feeling like another day at the office. The fact is, the future of movies isn't based on familiar titles. It's going to come from something you've never heard of before that looks like it might just work. Now! Yeah, hey, cool man, no problem. No problem at all. Who are you? Star Lord. Who? Well, Star Lord, man. Legendary outlaw? Forget it. Meanwhile, behind the big blockbusters, successful or unsuccessful, are smaller screens filled with smaller films. Horror movies like Crawl from B-movie king Sam Raimi, maybe, or little documentaries like Camino Skies. I'm hoping to be able to walk the whole Camino. And ask my husband, Paul. You search for meaning. I know very little about the producer-directors of Camino Skies, Fergus Grady, who also did the sound, and Noel Smythe, who acted as cinematographer. They've worked on both sides of the Tasman, and this film did well at the recent New Zealand Documentary Edge Festival. Come on, sweetie. Don't call me sweetie. Hey, come on, darling. Well, let's go. And one step at a time, you reach the top. Body's screaming. More to the point, it's doing rather well in general release, as witnessed by an ambitious schedule. Not for Camino Skies, a couple of tentative screenings in one or two suburban art houses. As they used to say in the tomato sauce ads, this is all over everything. I'm going to die. I'm going to die in the ditch. Look. We're all very different people. Its success is clearly due to effectively targeting a very specific audience, in this case, older people and proud of it. It's been ages since I've been referred to as sunny as often as I was on Saturday afternoon, and the audience reflected almost exactly the people on screen, all about to set out on the famous Camino de Santiago. The Camino gives you this kind of consciousness or awareness. Every day you walk more than a half marathon for 33, 35 days. The Camino is a trek from the border of France and Spain to the Shrine of St James in the city of Santiago de Compostela, around 800 kilometres in total and traditionally done on foot. Why do people do it? Well, not necessarily for religious reasons. Not in this movie at any rate. It's something you just have to do, particularly if you've undergone a recent trauma. (laughs) 
they're looking for something in their life because of a particular crisis that happened. The film offers very little information about the history of the Camino, the walk to Santiago, other than it's there and people have been doing it since the 9th century. For the audience I saw Camino skies with, that seemed to be enough. They clearly identified fully with people like Terry and Julie. You don't know who you're walking with. (laughs) You've got to keep your head down and you've got to keep going. Julie was recently widowed at just 50, and then, even worse, she lost a son shortly afterwards. Terry, in his 70s and the most experienced Camino walker of the group, had a family bereavement too, and is doing the trek with his son-in-law, Mark. It was freaking hard. Everybody's hurting. I know your pain. We need each other's help. The beauty of being in a group is we all do look out for each other. The walker we spend most time with is Western Australian Sue Morris in her 70s too and seemingly in severe pain all the time. She tells us she stops regularly for a good cry and one of the enduring images is watching Sue angrily brushing the tears away and starting again. You get half a certificate each. (laughs) People say, oh, I couldn't go any further. Yes, you can. You'd think the target audience for a film about the pilgrimage to a famous Christian site would be what they call faith-based these days. It certainly would be in the States and, for that matter, Spain, I'm sure. I know a lot of people do the Camino on their own, but I think that would have been too hard. Right now, I'm heading for coffee. But New Zealand and Australia, who contributed most of this film's pilgrims, tend not to wear their faith on their sleeves. Instead, the film is aimed firmly at veteran trampers. And judging from the numbers I saw it with, that crowd is a loyal and enthusiastic one. You know, life is so short. Let the good times roll. The Camino is life. If you want to see elderly Australasians refusing to quit, an alternative title for Camino Skies might be Tramping with Soul, despite the lack of much overt spirituality in the film. Well, this is it. You might want to lie down afterwards, though. Just stop thinking elderly. We're not oh, elderly. we're not elderly. We're young. <laughs> Don't put that in the movie. <laughs> When the trailer for an efficient, low-budget thriller called Crawl came out, everything about it screamed, not for me. I'm not really much of a fan of horror films anyway. They're often too damn good at scaring the pants off me, even the bad ones. opens on a hurricane attacking the coast of Florida. Coincidentally, we're in the middle of hurricanes attacking the coast of Florida season right now. And our heroine has just completed a swimming competition where Haley's specialist stroke is the Australian crawl. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. 
that, that's not the crawl we're talking about. Driving home through the hurricane, Hayley's obviously a really keen competitive swimmer. She's alerted to the fact that Dad's not answering his phone at the old homestead. Grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Dad! We won't be able to come for you. Dad! She arrives at the house, looks for Dad, and eventually goes under the floor in the so-called crawl space. But that's not the crawl we're talking about either. Haley finds Dad unconscious and bleeding in the sloppy mud. Outside, the hurricane howls, and inside, Haley is interrupted as she starts dragging Dad upstairs. There's something down there with them. And that is the crawling thing we're talking about. It's taken some time, ladies and gentlemen, and we can't say we weren't warned. Outside on the storm-battered highway to the family home were any number of signs reading Alligator Farms, five bucks to get in. Ellie, are you hurt? I'm fine. They don't say how much to get out, but as far as I'm concerned, the answer to that is cheap at any price, because the alligator is about my least favourite of God's creatures at the best of times. I'm told the crocodile is even bigger, but a Florida gator is plenty big enough for me, particularly if it's crawling around with me under a house. When Gary the Gator made his first appearance in Crawl, I lightly grazed my scalp, bouncing off the ceiling of the cinema. This was neither the last shock I got in the film, or even the worst. Incidentally, christening the alligator Gary didn't help much in making him less scary, particularly when it became clear there were more where he came from. In less than an hour, we'll be underwater! Banging on the pipes blurs their senses. I can distract them for you. I suppose I have to concede that Crawl is very efficiently made by French director Alexandre Aja and American producer Sam Raimi, who are both very good at turning up the tension by reducing the cast to a bare minimum. You need to go now. I'm not leaving you here. Aside from Gary and his friends, the cast is essentially two, English actress Kaya Scottolario and Barry Pepper. They're both very able and, in Kaya's case, very fit. She needs to be in that crawl space. Frankly, if I'd had any say in the matter, I'd have crawled out of the cinema after the first half an hour. Come on, you son of a bitch! I went in terrified of our prehistoric amphibian friends and I came out the same way. As I say, not for me, but if you fancy a waterlogged heart starter, you may be made of sterner stuff. Say hi to Gary for me. And on the promise that come hell or high water, there's no way I'm going to a sequel to that particular film, it's time to go. 
I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.